Open up your Bibles to John chapter 10. <clears throat> John chapter 10. If you're a guest here, we work through books of the Bible, and we've been working through the Gospel of John for a little while now. If you want context of what I'm preaching today, you have about 30-something sermons to listen to in the Gospel of John to catch up. Um, that tells you also how long we've been in the Gospel of John. But we like to go through verse by verse through the Scriptures, so that way we can hear the full counsel of God. We will have to uh, battle hard verses, and we believe that the Holy, Holy Spirit sets the agenda. He has something for us this week from this passage. I really believe that. And so we're going to rely on the providence of God that's brought those of you here today who are here, those who are not. Hopefully they are hearing a word somewhere else that they need. Last week we began this passage in, in, in chapter 10 and we talked about the Good Shepherd, how Jesus refers to Himself as the Good Shepherd. And we talked about how the sheep will hear His voice. He calls them by name. He leads them out, not from behind, but He's in front and leading us. We read that the sheep will not follow a stranger, but they follow Jesus. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you hear His voice and you follow Him. If you don't follow Him, then you might not be one of His sheep yet. Or you are, but you've gotten a little far away from the shepherd and you need to get close to His Word again talks briefly about the thief whose only desire is to come to steal, kill, and destroy. If he can't stop you from becoming a Christian, he doesn't want you to have an abundant life in Christ. And we talked about how Christ is the door. He is the way to have, yes, salvation, which is our justification being made right before God, but also for our sanctification, the way we grow more and more to look like Jesus. And He's the way that we can truly find pasture, joy, peace, being fed. It's through Christ. Any other thing you try will not work. You will still be hungry. You will not have true joy. You will not have true hope. You will not have true rest until you go through Jesus. So we stopped uh, at verse 10, which says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He talks about that. And then we're going to pick up in verse 11 today. So I'm going to read through the text. You can follow along silently as I do that. And then we will work through it verse by verse. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So, there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. 
No one takes it from me. But I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my father. There was again great There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, "He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him?" Others said, "These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind?" Jesus continues on. He's talked about being the shepherd some, and he switched a little bit to talk about being the door or the gate. And now he's going to come back to verse 11. I am the good shepherd. First thing I want you to note right away, he's using that I am language, which takes us back to the Old Testament, in that same idea where God says, I am who I am. He says that to Moses. He says, tell the people, I am has sent you. But what's interesting, and we talked about this at our Bible study on Wednesday night, that Jesus keeps adding different things. He's, he says, I am the door, I'm the gate, I'm the shepherd, the good shepherd, I'm the bread of life. He adds these different things throughout the Gospel of John. And what we came up with as we discussed that is, well, why does he add so much? Because he's everything. For the sheep, Jesus is your everything. So he says, I am the good shepherd. Notice, he doesn't say he's a good shepherd. This is not describing if you were to have like a hundred shepherds and Jesus is like, there's 20 good ones and I'm one of those. That's not what he's saying. He's actually going to show you, show us today how he's different, how he's the good shepherd. What's unique about him and how there's nobody else like him. He says he's the good shepherd and he's going to define what that means. Why is he good? So he goes on. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 12. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. What he's doing here is he's going on to explain in detail why he's the good shepherd. It's because he lays his life down for the sheep. We see this kind of in 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you remember, David's about to fight Goliath and he's explaining to Saul, hey, I can take this guy. I got no problem. God's with us. I can take him. And I'm a shepherd. And I look after my dad's sheep. And so what he says is, oh, there's, there's different things that would attack bears, lions. And I'd run them off. And if they turned around, I'd kill them. No problem. I can handle this guy. That's pretty common in the sense of a shepherd. You protect the sheep, no question. And if a wolf comes, if a bear comes, whatever comes, you defend to protect your sheep, unless you're the hired hand. They're not your sheep? I ain't dying for sheep. I I think we can identify with that, right? If if you own something, it's precious to you. Depending on how precious it is to you, you will give your life for it. But if it's not, you're just hired, you'll be like, "Mm mm-mm, that wolf can eat. I'm getting out of here. But even a human shepherd, if it's their sheep, I think that they would try to defend. They would fight back. But what's interesting is Jesus is going to make an argument to how he's even better than that. 
It's not just that Jesus is willing to die for his sheep, although that's part of it. I want to submit to you today that the reason he's the good shepherd is it's the plan to lay his life down for the sheep. It's not a reaction to the wolves coming necessarily. It's not a reaction to the fact that there's bears. It's actually the plan. I'm going to lay my life down for the sheep. Here's what I need you to do this morning. I don't know everyone's hearts in here, obviously. I only know my own. There are some of you who are members of the church, and on that profession we say, you're walking with Jesus the best we know. Some of you are Christians. Most likely some of you are not. If you are a follower of Jesus today, I need you to get into the sheep mentality right now. Okay? You're not the good shepherd in the story. You're the sheep. If you're following Jesus. So I need you to start thinking like the sheep for this sermon. Okay? Think like the sheep. I don't want you to worry about other sheep who you think need to hear this sermon. (laughs) Don't we do that? You hear something like, oh man, I know who this is for. Oh yeah, oh, if they could just be here. No, you're here, it's for you. And it's for me. Think about, from the perspective, I want you to think kind of like you're the sheep, okay? I want you to hear today why Jesus is your good shepherd. Not because He's willing to die for you, but because that was part of the plan from the beginning. The plan was He was going to die for you, but that doesn't make a lot of sense. How can a shepherd be helpful to his sheep if he dies? Right? Think about it for a second. Like taking the, the you know, just the real life situation. If I'm a shepherd and I've got a bunch of sheep and I'm going, and I'm like, oh, here's my plan. I'm going to go die. What's going to happen to the sheep then? If the shepherd's gone, what happens to the sheep? They die. They scatter. Right? But Jesus is actually saying, I lay my life down for the sheep. That's part of the plan. But he doesn't stay dead. But he has to die. See, some shepherds are willing to die for their sheep to save them. In this scenario, Jesus has to die for you to save you. He has to. And that's what he's going to unpack for us. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. And the point of verse 12, he's like, I'm not one of these hired hands. I'm not somebody that's just stepping in the picture. And I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm not going to run away. I'm willing to go all the way to the cross to die for you. Why? He says it gives us a little bit of a hint in 12. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep. That's the key difference. The hired hand doesn't own the sheep. If you're one of Jesus' sheep, He owns you. You're His. Verse 13, He says, He flees because He's a hired hand and He cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus is the exact opposite. He cares everything for you. He loves you. To the point that He would die. Not just die in defending you, but that he would agree to a plan to die for you. Verse 14 says, he repeats, I am the good shepherd. And now he emphasizes more this relationship he has with his sheep. Look what he says. I know my own, and my own know me. And that word is more than just knowledge. It's intimate. He knows you in an intimate way. He knows you better than anybody. 
He knows you better than you know yourself. We talked a little bit about this as well when we were working, working through the book of Revelation. And, it, and that's why at the end, he's going to give you a stone with a new name on it that only you and him know. It's intimate. And we're too, and he says, my own know me. Do you know him in an intimate way? Or do you have a lot of knowledge about him? Some of you have gotten to meet famous people. Would you really say you know that person? Like my dad, he got to meet uh, one of the presidents. He shook his hand and took a photo. That doesn't count. You're not like, I know the president. We hang out together. We're friends. No, the president doesn't remember you at all. Realistically, how many people does he meet? He doesn't know you. And you don't know him. But some of us live our lives like when we got baptized or we came down and we took our photo with Jesus and now it's like, I know Jesus and he knows me. That's not knowing him just because one moment in your life you said a prayer out loud. That doesn't mean you know him. That prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saves you if you trust in him. If you, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't say just only believe in me and leave it at that. Jesus' language is follow me. Follow me. And that's a good gauge to see where we're at. If you know in your heart, I'm not ever really following him. That could be a concern. You, either you're a sheep that's gotten far away or you're a goat. <laughs> but look at his love. I want you to see how he's your good shepherd. He knows you deeper than anybody else. <laughs> and by the way, he knows you deeper than anybody else and he still loves you. That's amazing. Like, if you were to know everything about me, I'm pretty sure you all be like, mm, nope, not loving you anymore. <laughs> What's also interesting is Jesus is God and God doesn't learn anything. He's God the Son eternally. And what's going to really bake your noodle is that God has a plan A and there's no other plan. And before the foundations of the world, there was this interesting book called the Lamb's Book of Life. Some of you are familiar with it. If you can turn your Bibles quickly to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation 13. If you're not familiar with that, it's the last book in the Bible. Verses 5 through 8. This is a lot going on in the book of Revelation, but... This is talking about a beast that arises, and this, this book is mentioned, the Lamb's Book of Life. And listen to what's said here, and I want you to let this sit on you as one of the sheep. Listen. Because if you're one of the sheep, that means your name is in this book. And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority 42 months. Notice it was allowed to. Nothing happens outside the power of God. He allows things, or he doesn't. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. It was allowed to make war on the saints. Saints are who? Christians. Anyone who believes in Jesus is a saint. Why? Because you're given the righteousness of Christ, not because of your own righteousness. It was allowed to make war on the saints and conquer them, and authority was given it over every tribe, people, language, and nation. That's 
what Jesus is working all this towards, is that every tribe, tongue, and nation will be worshiping him. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and conquer them, this authority given. Verse 8, And all who dwell on the earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. That verse, and a few others like it, show that that book existed, and the names of those who would trust in Christ was written in it before the world was even created. Before the world was even created. This links up with, go back to John 10. And this is deep, but I want you to hear this as the sheep. I'm going to skip down just a little from our text. Still in chapter 10, though, so you can see the context. Verse 27, John 10, 27, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Listen to this, verse 28. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. Jesus gives you eternal life, and you will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Brothers and sisters, you are one of Jesus' sheep. No one can snatch you out of his hand. No one. Look at this, verse 29. My Father who has given them to me, my Father who has given them to me, if you're one of Jesus' sheep, I've said this to some of you before, you are a gift from the Father to the Son. He gets the gift talking about his Father, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Chapter 17, actually. We're going to be in 17. (laughs) Over in John 17, which I'm sure you guys were listening closely when Eric and Carrie were reading. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer. This is what Jesus prays. We get insight into Jesus' prayer with the Father. And I want you to hear this. When Jesus had spoken these words, starting in verse 1, He lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son that the Son may glorify You. Talking about His death uh, and resurrection coming. Since You have given Him authority over all flesh. Who has the authority? Jesus does. To give eternal life to all whom You have given Him. Do you see that? This is the authority Jesus has. Give eternal life to all that the Father has given the Son. And this is eternal life, that they would know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's what he says. Jesus' job is to come and make sure he doesn't lose the sheep. Those sheep whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundations of the world. Brothers and sisters, I need you to hear how loved you are. God doesn't learn anything. There's no plan B. When He decided to create, He already knew everything about you. He knows the beginning from the end. There's nothing that surprises Him. You don't go home later and sin or do something. He goes, oh, Tom, I didn't know you were going to do that. He knew everything about you. The deepest, darkest stuff. And before the foundation of the world, your name's in His land book of life. And He says, here, son, here's the book. Go make sure my sheep come back to us. Make sure they're protected. And you know what Jesus says? He's the Son. You know what He says? Got it. No question. Because He's he's willing to even go to the point of leaving heaven to come to earth, to pursue you, to love you. And then on this earth, He's willing to go, you know what? I'm going to lay my life down. Question. Who's responsible for Jesus' death? 
Don't say it out loud. Think. Who's responsible for Jesus' death? A lot of times we want to think, well, the Jews, the Roman guards, Pilate was involved. Or sometimes we'll say, me. And is there truth that all of those were involved? Yes. But make no mistake, the one who's behind the curtain is God. Isaiah 53 actually says, and I like the King James in this, verse 10, that it it pleased the Father to crush the Son. Wait. It's pleasing? It was the will of God to crush the Son? Absolutely, because it was a plan that was developed before the foundations of the world. And if you're one of Jesus' sheep, you were in his mind, in the Father's mind, in the Spirit's mind, before the foundations of the world. And he says, I love you. I'm coming for you. I'm dying for you. I'm rising for you. Why? Because he owns the sheep. What he's saying is, I own you. You know how you've been purchased? Multiple places, Scripture says, you've been purchased by the precious blood of Christ. And in Corinthians, he actually says, and you are not your own. You are his now. Whose else would you want to be? I want to be his. I want to be anybody else's. Someone who would leave heaven, come, suffer, die in my place? The Father says, here's the Lamb's book of life. Here are the names. Go and make sure. If you trust in Jesus, you're in that book. Some of you in here, you haven't trusted in Jesus yet. You need to. Because He's great. He's glorious. And He's saying, it's part of the plan. I'm not just going to just defend some wolves against you. I'm going to lay my life down. Why? Because it's the plan that the Father would pour out His wrath on the Son. Don't think for a second that, he, that Jesus has ransomed you from Satan. He's ransomed you from the wrath of God so you can be made right with Him. That's what He does for His own sheep. That's what the passage is saying. Now he goes, I am the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. He links it. He links our connection with Himself with His connection with the Father. That's intimacy. That's oneness. And He's saying, just like that, that's what I have with my sheep. And I have other sheep, He goes on to say, that are not of this fold. This most likely meaning, he's talking to the Jews right now, the Gentiles. If you're not Jewish, guess what? That's you. It's also those from every tribe, tongue, and nation. He still has them out there. Their names are in that book. That's why God can guarantee at the end, every tribe, tongue, and nation will worship around the throne. Because he knows that. He doesn't learn anything. So what does he say? Look, look what he says. I must bring them also. I love that. I must bring them also. Why? Because the Father's already told him, hey, don't lose any of them. He says, I'm not going to lose them. I must bring them too. And they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. The church of God. And he's our shepherd. Now, he does give the local churches the gifts of under-shepherds, and that's part of how he loves. But he's the true shepherd, the chief shepherd. Verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Another way of saying that is in order that I may take it up again. He lays down his life. That's not the end of the story. The point of laying down his life is so that he would take it up again. 
It's not like we shouldn't be, oh man, that's so unfortunate what happened to Jesus. In one sense, yeah, I get that, but that's the plan. And he willingly does it. We've seen over and over throughout the Gospel of John where they're trying to seize him and why haven't they been able to get him? Why, why congregation? Why? His hour hadn't come yet. He decides when the hour is. Jesus decides. Why? How do we know that? Look. No one takes it from me. Nobody takes Jesus' life from him. But I lay it down on my own accord. It's not like jumping in front of a bullet for somebody. Like, that's pretty great. He's saying, I lay it down on my own accord because this is part of the plan from before the foundations of the world because I love these sheep. My Father loves these sheep. The Spirit loves these sheep. We love you. He says, I have the authority to lay it down. I have the authority to take it up again. And this charge I received where? From my Father. Last three verses as you can imagine, as we've seen throughout the Gospel of John, there was again division among the Jews because of these words. I would imagine there would be. Many of them said, ah, he has a demon and is insane. Why would we even listen to him? They keep saying that type of thing over and over again, don't they? They don't understand. They don't have spiritual eyes to see, and they're not willing to believe. Others said, eh, these are not words of one who's oppressed by a demon. And look what they go back to. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Remember the context of the man born blind? What's our takeaways? I hope it's clear. I want you to be loved and just walk and bask in the love of your good shepherd who didn't just die for you but he laid down his life for you when he had all the authority to either not do it, go another route if he wanted to, but this was the route. This was the only route for God to reconcile sinners to himself. This is the only plan. Plan A. And it was set before the foundations of the world. And the Father and the Son and the Spirit said, yes. And the Son has made sure to make that happen by dying on the cross in your place for your sins and rising after three days. And now your response is to believe. Have faith, believe in Jesus, and then live your life as one who has been loved so much. Don't do it out of necessity. Oh, I got to be here. I got to listen. Do it because you have been loved to that degree. Think on how much love that is before you were ever created and knowing everything about you the Father gives you as a gift to the Son. Think about that. And then you will want to follow your shepherd. Let's pray. You're a good father. Jesus, you're the good shepherd. Holy Spirit, you are the good spirit of God that lives inside each one of us who are believers. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take this encouragement and that you would speak to our hearts today and you would press this in on us and see how loved we are, how good Jesus is and how because he is so good, because you have loved us so much, that we would want to follow you because we know there's no one else to trust. You're the only one to trust. 
And that's because you've proved it to be true by leaving heaven and dying on our behalf and laying your life down because you have the authority to do it and then taking your life back up again because you've been given the authority to do it. I pray for my brothers and sisters that we be encouraged by this today. And I pray for those who are here who do not know you. I pray that they would cry out to you today for salvation. I pray they would say, Jesus, you are the good shepherd and I want to follow you all the days of my life. And I want true peace, true joy, true rest that can only be found through you. Help us do these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.